Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Are you ready to change your life in the next 30 minutes? It's time for Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. Get your notebooks ready. He's about to go in. Five. Four, three, two, one. Coach Mark, let's go. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. This is Coach Mark, and you're listening to Power and a Half Hour. In the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn the tips, tricks, and techniques of the rich and the super uber-duber successful. All right? So the quote that we're going to start today's show with is, The strongest factor for success is self-esteem. Believing you can do it. Believing you deserve it and believing you'll get it. Let me repeat that. I love that quote. The strongest factor for success is self-esteem. Believing first that you can do it, believing that you deserve it, and believing that you will get it. All right? The title of today's show is Believe in Who? Believe in Yourself. I want to thank everyone for listening. I want to remind you that if you ever want to go back and re-listen to any of the previous shows, you can go to www.powerhh.com. That's www.powerhh.com. If we're not friends on Facebook, my name on Facebook is Mark Starr, M-A-R-K-S-T-A-R-R, all right? On Instagram and Twitter, it's at Coach Mark Speaks. That's at C-O-A-C-H-M-A-R-K-S-P-E-A-K-S. I have a daily message service. So to get those messages for free every single day, motivational and inspirational messages to start your day off, all you have to do is text the letters B-B-D. That's boy, boy, dog, B-B-D to 411247, all right? And if you have not had the opportunity, you can download my book for what? For free at www.repeataftermebook.com. All right, we have an absolutely amazing show today. Let's go ahead and get started. Profile number one, Mr. Wright. Now, in 1957, a UCLA psychologist named Bruno Klopfer published an article in a medical journal telling the story of a man who he called Mr. Wright. Now, Mr. Wright had advanced lymphoma, which is a cancer of the lymph glands. The man had large tumors in his neck, growing, and armpits, and some were as big as an orange. Now, unfortunately, his cancer was not responding to any of the conventional treatments that he was receiving. Mr. Wright would lay in his bed for weeks, completely bedridden. His doctor had given up hope on him. Everyone had given up on Mr. Wright except Mr. Wright. Now, Mr. Wright found out that the hospital where he was being treated just happened to be one of the 10 hospitals and research centers in the country that were evaluating an experimental drug extracted from horse blood called Krebiosin. Mr. Wright became very excited and would badger his doctor for days until he finally agreed to give him some of this new treatment, although he couldn't be a part of the official trial. 
Now, Mr. Wright received his injection of Krebiazin on a Friday, and by Monday, he was walking around laughing and joking with his nurses, acting as if he was a brand new man. Now, Dr. West, Mr. Wright's doctor, said that the tumors had shrunk to half of their original size within three days. Now, within 10 days of taking the original treatment, Mr. Wright was sent home from the hospital. He was cured. Everyone thought that it was a miracle. Two months later, the media reported that the trials showed that Krebiazin turned out to be worthless. Once Mr. Wright read the news and embraced the thought that the drug was useless, he relapsed immediately and the tumors began to return. Now, Dr. West suspected that Mr. Wright's initial positive response was due to the placebo effect. Realizing that his patient was terminal and had nothing to lose and everything to gain, he told Mr. Wright not to believe the newspaper reports and that the reason he had suffered a relapse was because the batch of medicine that he was last given was a bad batch. Dr. West told his patient that a new super refined double strength version of the drug was on its way to the hospital and Mr. Wright would receive it as soon as it arrived. Now, Mr. Wright became excited, and a few days later, he received an injection of the higher-strength drug. This time, though, Dr. West gave his patient a syringe filled with distilled water. No drug. Once again, Mr. Wright's tumors magically vanished, and he returned home and did well for another two months, free of tumors in his body. Shortly after, the American Medical Association made the announcement that Krebiazin was indeed worthless. The miracle drug turned out to be a hoax, containing nothing more than mineral oil containing a simple amino acid. The manufacturers of the drug were eventually indicted. Upon hearing the news, Mr. Wright relapsed the final time, no longer believing that he could become healthy. He returned back to the hospital, and two days later, he died. Profile number two, Sam Londy. Now, Sam was a retired shoe salesman living outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Sam would go to a doctor as he was starting to have difficulty swallowing. The doctor discovered that Sam had metastatic esophageal cancer. Now, during the 70s, this form of cancer was considered to be incurable and no one had ever survived it. It was a death sentence. Sam's doctor recommended that he have surgery to remove the cancerous tissue in the esophagus and the stomach where the cancer had spread to. Sam went with the doctor's advice and had the surgery. After the surgery, his situation went from bad to worse. Now, after the doctor scanned his liver, they found out that Sam had extensive cancer throughout the liver's entire left lobe. Now, the doctor informed Sam that at best, he had only months to live. Sam and his new wife, both in their 70s, decided to move 300 miles to Nashville where Sam's wife had family. Soon after, Sam and his wife moved to Tennessee. Sam was admitted to the hospital and assigned a new doctor. The first time this new doctor, Dr. Meador, walked into Sam's room, he found a small, unshaven man curled up underneath a mount of covers looking nearly dead. Now, although Sam had high blood glucose levels due to diabetes, the rest of his blood chemistry was fairly normal, except for slightly higher levels of liver enzymes, which was normal for someone with liver cancer. Under his new doctor's orders, Sam, although initially very hesitant, began receiving physical therapy, a fortified liquid diet, and lots of nursing care and attention. A few days later, 
He grew a little stronger and his grumpiness started to subside. He began to talk to his doctor about his life. Sam shared how he had been married before and that his first wife had been his soulmate. He revealed that they had a great life together, although they didn't have any kids. They both loved boating, and when they retired, they bought a house by a large man-made lake. One night, a nearby dam had burst, and a wall of water crushed their home and swept it away. Sam miraculously survived by hanging on to some of the debris, but his wife's body was never found. Sam had lost everything that he cared for in the flood. Within six months of the flood, while battling depression, Sam was diagnosed with cancer and had the surgery. Shortly after, Sam met and married his second wife, who was a kind woman who knew about his terminal illness and agreed to care for him in the little time that he had left. After they were married, they decided to move to Nashville. The doctor knew the rest of the story. After hearing the story, the doctor was amazed and felt compassion for Sam and then asked him if there was anything that he could do for him. Sam thought on this for a while. Sam finally replied that he would like to live through Christmas so that he could be with his new wife and her family because they had been so good to him. That's all Sam wanted. By the time that Sam was released in late October, he was doing much better than when he had first arrived. The doctor would see him once a month after he was discharged, and every time he saw Sam, Sam looked much better. Exactly one week after Christmas on New Year's Day, Sam's wife brought him back to the hospital. The doctor was surprised to see that Sam looked like he was near death. After diagnosing Sam, all he could find was a mild fever and a small patch of pneumonia on Sam's chest x-ray, even though Sam didn't have any respiratory issues. All of Sam's blood tests looked good, and the cultures that the doctor ordered for him came back negative for any other disease. The doctor prescribed antibiotics for Sam and put him on oxygen, but within 24 hours, Sam was dead. Although it may seem as though Sam's time had just come with his cancer, a funny thing happened when the hospital performed Sam's autopsy. Sam's liver was, in fact, not filled with cancer. He had only a small nodule of cancer in its left lobe and another very small spot on his lug. The truth is, neither cancer was big enough to kill him. And in fact, the area around his esophagus was totally free of disease as well. Sam had initially gotten a misdiagnosis. Sam didn't die of esophageal cancer, nor did he die of liver cancer. He also didn't die of the mild case of pneumonia he had when he was readmitted to the hospital. He died quite simply because everybody in his immediate environment thought he was dying. Both his doctors in St. Louis and Nashville thought he was dying. Sam's wife and her family thought he was dying. And most importantly, Sam himself thought that he was dying. Profile number three, surgeon Bruce Mosley. Now, Bruce Mosley is an orthopedic surgeon. Bruce was one of Houston's leading experts in orthopedic sports medicine and practiced at the Baylor College of Medicine in 1996 when he published a trial study based on his experience with 10 volunteers. All 10 of the volunteers had served in the military and suffered from osteoarthritis of the knee. Now, because their conditions were severe, many of these men had noticeable limps, walked with a cane, or needed some type of assistance to get around. This study was designed to look at an arthroscopic surgery. In the surgery, the doctor would then scrape and rinse the joint to remove any fragments of 
degenerated cartilage that were thought to be the cause of the inflammation and pain. At that time, about three quarters of a million patients received this surgery every year. In Dr. Mosley's study, two of the 10 men were to be given the standard surgery called a debridement, where the surgeon scrapes strands of cartilage from the knee joint. Three of them were to receive a procedure called a lavage, where high-pressured water is injected through the knee joint, rinsing and flushing out the decayed arthritic material. And five of them would receive a fake surgery in which Dr. Mosley would slice through their skin with a scalpel and then just sew them back up again without performing any medical procedure at all. For these five men, there would be no arthroscope, no scraping of the joint, no removal of bone fragments, and no washing, just an incision and then stitches. The start of each of the 10 procedures was exactly the same. The patient was wheeled into the operating room and given general anesthesia while Dr. Mosley scrubbed up. Once the surgeon entered the operating room, he would find a sealed envelope waiting for him that would tell him which of the three groups the patient on the table had been randomly assigned to. Dr. Mosley had no idea what the envelope contained until he actually ripped it open. After the surgery, all 10 of the patients in the study reported greater mobility and less pain. In fact, the men who received the pretend surgery did just as well as those who received the debridement or the lavage surgery. There was no difference in the results. Even six months later, six years later, when two of the men who received the pretend surgery was interviewed, they reported that they were still walking normally without pain and had a greater range of motion. They said they could now perform all the everyday activities that they hadn't been able to perform before the surgery six years earlier. Dr. Mosley was so fascinated by the results that he published another similar study that he had done in 2002, this time involving 180 patients who were followed for two years after their surgeries. Again, all three groups improved with patients beginning to walk without pain or limping immediately after the surgery. Again, neither of the two groups who actually had the surgery improved any more than the patients who received the placebo surgery even after two years. Now, I got these amazing stories from this book I'm reading called You Are the Placebo. Now, these three stories aren't just freak accidents or circumstances. These three stories are examples of what is known as the placebo effect. The placebo effect is a remarkable phenomenon in which a placebo such as a fake treatment, an inactive substance like sugar, distilled water, or saline solution can sometimes improve a patient's condition simply because the person has the expectation that it will be helpful. Expectation plays an important role in the placebo effect. The more a person believes that they're going to benefit from a treatment, the more likely it is that they will experience a benefit. There are several scientific studies that show placebos outperforming the actual drugs themselves. Now, psychologist Irving Kirsch, at the time working at the University of Connecticut, was shocked to find that in 19 randomized double-blind clinical trials involving more than 2,300 patients they were being treated for depression, they improved more from the placebo compared to the antidepressant medications. Irving Kirsch and his colleagues then did a second meta-analysis, this time of the 35 
clinical trials conducted for four of the six most widely prescribed antidepressants approved between 1987 and 1999. Now looking at data from more than 5,000 patients, the researchers found again that placebos work just as well as the popular antidepressant drugs Prozac, Effexor, Serzone, and Paxil a whopping 81% of the time. Now, in most of the remaining cases where the drug did perform better, the benefit was so small that it wasn't statistically significant. Only with severely depressed patients were the prescription drugs clearly better than the placebo. What this placebo effect shows us is that these people got better through the power of their own thought, through expecting that they would get better. Here's another example of the placebo effect and how our thought can help bring relief. When a child falls and bruises his knee and it starts to bleed, the child will usually start to cry from apparent pain. When an adult, especially his mother, puts a Band-Aid on the bruise, usually the child will stop crying. Why is that? As adults, we know that the Band-Aid has nothing in it to stop the pain. It's the child's belief that this Band-Aid is magical is what generally stops the pain. Now, there are thousands of other examples and research studies that show the power of the placebo effect. During World War II, Dr. Henry Beecher found that the soldiers who believed that they were getting morphine but instead received a saltwater solution still experienced pain relief. This was done because the military ran out of supplies of morphine. Now, the adverse of the placebo effect is the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect is when inactive substances or even suggestions bring about negative effects in a patient or research participant simply because someone believes or expects it will harm them. The nocebo effect commonly pops up in drug studies where subjects who are taking placebos either just expect that there will be side effects to the drug being tested or when the subjects are specifically warned of potential side effects and then they experience those same side effects by associating the thought of the drug with all the potential causes even though they have not taken the drug. Now an example of this would be a research study done in 1962 in Japan with a group of children who were all extremely allergic to poison ivy. Researchers rubbed one forearm of each child with a poison ivy leaf, but told them that the leaf was harmless. As a control, they, would, they rubbed the child's other forearm with a harmless leaf that was thought to be poison ivy. 11 of the 13 children developed no rash at all where the poison ivy had actually touched them. All 13 of the children that were touched with the harmless leaf thought it was poison ivy and developed a rash. Now that we understand the power of our thoughts, we have to be careful as to the thoughts that we are constantly thinking and the words that we allow others to speak into our lives. This research that I've shared with you today is not even the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg. There are thousands and thousands of cases of spontaneous remissions and hundreds of research studies that back all this info up. Scientists are still trying to figure out how to explain this. Pharmaceutical companies want us to hide this, but we need to not only know this, but to apply this power that we have into our lives. Well, that's all that we have for today's show. I hope you guys learned some really, really amazing things. Really great show. This is probably one of my favorite shows. All right. So make sure 
Make sure, make sure that if you want to go back and re-listen to any of the old shows, all you got to do is go to www.powerhh.com. Now, I know you have three friends that should have heard what we talked about today. Make sure that you share this with them, all right? Share this with your friends. You want your friends to grow and become better just as you are growing and becoming better, all right? And the quote that we're going to end today's show with is, almost every successful person begins with two beliefs. The future can be better than the present and that they have the power to make it. So you got to have belief in yourself. All right. Thank you so much. And until next show. Thanks for listening to Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. To listen or re-listen, go to PowerInAHalfHour.com. Follow Coach Mark on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Mark Speaks. Find Coach Mark on Facebook by searching for Mark Star. Like our Facebook fan page, Power in a Half Hour. And join our Power in a Half Hour Facebook group. See you next week. You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.